0: Let us open our Bibles and uh, turn to James chapter 1. You'll see on the title slide that I have there, I've got it listed, James, the manifestations of a tested faith. That essentially is how I have um, concluded the main theme of this book. James works through this book and he gives his readers a series of tests on how they can gauge and evaluate their faith. Is it a living, maturing, growing faith or is it a dead, impotent, false faith? Is it a faith that's full of immaturity or is it a faith that's full of maturity? And as he goes, ebbs and flows through this letter, he shoots out these tests and the one we'll deal with today is trials. How do you respond to the trials and the tribulations that come into your life? How do you respond? He, goes, he moves on. How do you respond to temptations? How do you respond to the Word of God? Are you merely a, a listener to the word of God, but are you a doer of the word? And, and he works systematically right through this book, giving these tests for his readers to, to evaluate themselves. Well, the one that we will deal with this morning is one that um, touches every one of our lives, and it's this matter of trials. So let's read it. Um, we'll read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, and uh, we'll just attack the text then. Hear the word of the Lord. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith... Falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to this portion of your worship service, Lord. As we focus upon your word, Lord, we we ask that your Holy Spirit would now move among us. That your Holy Spirit would do his job to illuminate the word to our minds and help us apply the word to our hearts. Lord, our Bibles are on our laps. Our hearts are open. Our ears are unclogged from the fog of the week. And we come to you, Lord, beseeching you, asking you, begging you, Father, to speak to us now. For it's desperately what we need. We need to hear from you. Speak through your word. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, there are two things guaranteed in this world? I bet you you can fill in the the blank. Let me hear it. Man, you guys are great. Death and taxes. You know what? That's an interesting phrase. And I've thought about it, and I thought, you know, we need to rework that a little bit. It it needs a little bit of work. And I thought, you know, it it should be rephrased in a way that bears a lot more truth. There is some truth to it. But I think if we said, you know, there are a few things that are guaranteed in this world, three of them being death, taxes, and trials. Now, I can tell just by your disposition from that statement that you, you resonate with that, don't you? Trials are a part of all of our lives. Trials touch us and buffet and batter our lives in many ways and at many different times of our lives. And you know the form of the trial in your life, whether it's the dreaded word cancer, whether it's struggling with a special needs child, whether it's the loss of a job, and financial disorder that comes as a byproduct of that. Whether it's emotional distress for no apparent reason. You, you know the one that hits your life. And you know the ones that have hit your life. And as the, in, in all honesty, as the, as the songs that we have already sang this morning speak so clearly of. Trials hit our lives. Scripture doesn't hide that. But trials are also one of the greatest tools in the hand of God. ...to conform us to the image of Christ. You know, I, I, I didn't talk to Pastor Van about the song selection... ...but I found it interesting in my time of worship and meditation this morning... ...as we sang those songs, that, that he, he had chosen day by day. And I was meditating on that very song this morning. And it's interesting to know the trials in Lina Sandel's life... ...that, that birthed that just, just that song alone. She was a, a very, very famous songwriter... But that song, Day by Day, came out of an enormous trial in her life. She was a a daddy's girl. She loved her father very much. And her father was a preacher. And she would sit at her father's feet every day in his office while he was preparing sermons. She wouldn't even go out and, and play with the other children. She just loved to be with daddy. Well, as she grew older, she continued that. She went with her daddy on many preaching escapades and evangelistic outreaches and all these different things. Well, on one one of those outreach events, they were crossing a lake in a boat and they were up on the upper deck of this big boat crossing this rather large lake and the boat hit a rock and the boat toppled a little bit. And when it did, her father fell out right before her eyes and drowned. Tremendous trial in her life. How would she respond to that trial? Would it make her bitter or would it make her better? Better? Interesting that that song was even part of, our, part of the, the plan this morning. I, I hadn't even planned on mentioning that. But I think it speaks so clearly, the, the evidence and the reality, because you see how she responded with that amazing song that brings us great joy and encouragement amidst our trials. Well, as I've thought about this, I thought of this picture right here. Do you know what that's a picture of? It's hard to tell, isn't it? A little bit foggy, a little bit unclear. That's actually a picture of a tapestry. That's a tapestry before it is finished. And as you look at that, you can't really tell what it is, and you can't really tell what it's going to be. And that's the way our lives are like. Very much like a tapestry. And, and, and the threads that God often uses in that tapestry are trials. Listen to this poem I found as I was preparing this study. Goes like this My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors, he worketh steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow, and I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and shuttles cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. And that's the reality of our life. Our life is a tapestry that God is working and weaving different trials and other different things into our lives as He seeks to conform us to the image of Christ. Because that is the pattern. As every weaver has a pattern that stands before him as he works his loom and he's, and he's adding a gold thread and a black thread and a green thread and he's following this pattern... Before our life is the pattern of Jesus Christ. Romans eight twenty nine declares that. Those who, who have been predestined are predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. And that's the pattern that God has before him. And he's working these things into our lives. And that's what James is dealing with in this section of Scripture. The reality of trials, the test of trials, and how will you respond. I'll just, I'll just say this. We're going to deal primarily with verses 5. Through 12, but let me make a, com- a couple comments about verses 2 through 4. He starts out in verses 2 and says, Count it all joy. That's one of the first uh, commands that I said of the 54. To count a trial joy is not an option, it's a command from the Lord. But James goes on and declares why. Because these trials are to help bring about maturity and Christ likeness in our life. James defines what kind of trials he's talking about when he says, When you meet Trials. Now, in the English, it's hard to decipher, but in the Greek, that word is actually has with it this connotation of fall into trials. He's not dealing with sinful, sinful, uh, brought about, um, how do I want to phrase it? Sin-induced trials, yes. Sin-induced trials, that's not what he's, what he's dealing with here. Sin-induced troubles and tribulations and problems is, an, is another matter dealt with clearly in other passages. But that's not what James is dealing with here. He's dealing with the trials of life that hit us from behind. The trials of life that, that grab us when we're not looking. The cancer when the physical we got, we, we got back last year said I was fine and now I go back again and now I have cancer. That's the trial that you, you weren't expecting. That's what James is dealing with in this section. The same Greek word is used of the Good Samaritan when he was traveling to Jericho and he fell among thieves, it said. It's the reality of they came up on him and he wasn't expecting it. That's the trials he's dealing with. He goes on and he gives the the purpose of the trial to to bring about steadfastness, patience, but that's not the end result. The end result is perfection or this sense of maturity, not sinless perfection. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about perfection maturity and Christ-likeness. But then starting in verse 5 down through 12, he deals with the process by which believers can mature through the trials in life. And what we'll see as we go through this is he talks about God's provision, this provision of wisdom. And then he moves on and he talks about the problem, these people's problem. You'll see it's doubt. He moves on and he deals with this paradoxical position that we have in Christ. And that his audience had in Christ, as believers in Christ. And then he goes on and he deals in verse 12 with this promised prize. Let's deal with God's provision of wisdom. Starting in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. One thing we, we realize as we admit and understand that trials are, are very much, in all honesty and normalcy of life, we start to realize that there are treasures in the trial. And that's why I've titled that this sermon this way. But so often we are so focused on what is happening to us that we miss what God is doing for us. And if we can learn to discipline ourselves to look for and find and then focus on the treasures of the trial, it will help us in this process that the trials seek to do, and that's bring maturity into our lives. And so that's what James is dealing with. And this first one here is the reality of humility. James is dealing with this point that humility must precede wisdom. And, and you understand that from the text as you ask yourself this question. Lacks wisdom about what? Lacks wisdom about trials. That's what James is, is saying there. If any man lacks wisdom about these trials that you're going, going through, let him ask God. What does it take for somebody to admit they need help? What does it take? What does it take for you to admit that I don't have all the answers? It takes humility. Let me ask you a question. Is there any way for us to learn humility except through, through trials? See, through the trials of our life, God brings, the, brings us to the end of our own self-sufficiency. And that is one of the greatest desperate desperate needs of our lives. We are all running st- far too often on our own engines rather than allowing us to run on the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And trials wake us up. T- trials bring the reality of that truth to the forefront of our lives. And, and James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. It's kind of a play on words. If you look back on verse 4, he talked about you'll be perfect and lacking nothing. And I wish I had time to, to dive into that. But you look at it later and I think you'll, you'll be amazed at how James is pricking their, their hearts with just that one phrase there, but then he goes on and he, and he brings out the reality of god 's character as he says, "Wisdom is lavishly and graciously provided." He goes on and he says, "But um, he, he who gives gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him." James is actually painting the picture here of a of a of a waiting father. see as as the trials that are brought into our lives are ultimately orchestrated and organized by God to bring us closer to himself as he conforms us to the image of Christ. God then waits anxiously, in, in a sense, waiting for us to come to him and ask him, Father, I need the wisdom to get through this trial. Father, I need your help. And he's waiting there, very much like the, the prodigal son's father. If you read that story, and he was looking and waiting for his son to return, so our Heavenly Father brings these trials into our lives to almost hurt us and shepherd us right back to himself, and then he stands there and waits and says, are you going to ask me for help? Because if you do, I have the divine wisdom that will help you get through this trial. And it's a beautiful picture of a waiting father. You know what's sad about that, though? How many trials do we go through, and we never seek the divine wisdom that we desperately need? It's sad. But then he goes on and he says, wisdom is procured through faithful prayer. I'll I'll just tell you this. He's painting a picture of a waiting child. A trusting, wanting child. You have the picture of this waiting father and then he paints the picture of this wanting, trusting, faithful child. I see this played out in my life all the time with my children. Okay, you that have children or have had children, you will know this. As a father, there's nothing more that thrills your soul than when your children come to you and say, Daddy, can you help me? Because you know the propensity of their heart is sin and selfishness. And when they're brought to a point when they realize they can't do it and they come to you and ask for help, that's right where you want them. Then you've got a teachable moment. I will often even try to foster that with my children as I get them to try to tie their own shoes. Oh, no, you can do it, you can do it. And I walk away and they'll be over there fumbling and, and just having a mess and then they'll come. Hopefully, sometimes they don't. They just run out with the shoes untied. But hopefully they'll come and they'll say, Daddy, will you help me? And I'll say, ah, yes. See, that's what he says he gives without reproach. You don't spank your child away and say, see, I told you next time you come to me first. No, that's not how God treats us. He says, absolutely, I'll give you the divine wisdom that you so desperately need. Why wisdom? Why why is wisdom and humility one of the greatest treasures of a trial? He gives us the divine wisdom so we don't waste the trial, so that the trial will make us better and not bitter. He moves on then and he talks about the people's problem, which is doubt. He says in verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for the person for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. It's interesting that this uh, letter in this letter of James, this book of James, I believe wholeheartedly was the first New Testament letter ever written. It's very interesting to think about that. But it's interesting to me that the problem that this assembly was having with doubting God's purpose and plan for their life amidst these trials is the same problem that we so often have, is it not? In the midst of our trials, we often doubt God's plan for our life. We often doubt His purpose. We often doubt His character and how He's going to deal with us and will He provide for us. James goes on to show us there clearly that doubt delivers instability as he talks about the waves crashing Back and forth and this person being driven and tossed by the wind. A lack of stability, a lack of direction. Doubt brings that. We see that even in the lives of of children. Another thing to think about with doubt, instability, is the reality of how doubt and instability also go together with immaturity. If you find an immature person, you'll find a person that's unstable. Unstable. Always, they always go hand in hand. And one of the themes of this book, one of the reasons and purposes of this book is James is trying to bring his his flock into maturity. He's trying to show them their immaturity by bringing out the reality of their instability because of doubt. He goes on and he brings out the truth that doubt delivers deception. As this man is, he's praying to God and probably praying for wisdom. But he's praying for wisdom on the frontal part of his lobe and in the back he's making all his plans on what he can do. Does that resonate with you? Is he really praying in faith? Is he really trying to procure this divine wisdom that's so desperately needed in faith? Or is he just going through the motions? See, James understood that this was a problem with this congregation. It's a a problem that we we all face. And there are so many illustrations I'm longing to give to you with this, but I can't. But but think of Peter. Remember Peter in his immature state as he was first a disciple and Peter would often open mouth and switch feet. You, you remember how he was that way? You remember he was in the boat and out of the boat? You know, he, he was walking on the water showing great faith and then he's sinking below the water. Why? He was beginning to doubt. And you see his instability. I will, I will never deny you. Moments later, he's denying him. You know, the instability that doubt brought into his life. Peter, in many ways, was a double-minded man. He was a double-minded man that almost drowned. So it is with us in the midst of our trials We can be double-minded and drown underneath them if we're not careful. James moves on then, and he talks about the paradoxical position in Christ. In verses 9 through 11, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. This is an interesting section of Scripture as it deals with this amazing paradox of the Christian faith. And in all honesty, you probably already realize this, I hope you do, that the whole Christian life and faith itself is one complete paradox. You know, there's life through death. The way up is the way down. And James is bringing out this reality that in the midst of the trial, these poor believers, which was primarily his his whole congregation or his whole assembly that he was ...that he was focusing on were were very poor because they had been driven out of their homeland, driven out of Jerusalem because they became believers. And so James is trying to encourage them and say, listen, in the midst of your trial you are actually rich. Now how does that happen? The, the, The poor rich man is lifted because in the midst of his trials he begins to realize the wealth that he has in Christ... See, the trial burns away all, all of the, the glamour of the materialistic world. These believers were looking at the, at the rich believers in their congregation, and they were having quite a bit of confrontation with them. But they would look at them, and they would, Man, I wish I could have what they had. And then they're, they're being buffeted and battered by these trials. And then what was happening? Amidst their trials, they were realizing that those things are fleeting. Those things are failing. What they had in Christ being a child of the king, was all they needed. And so then, therefore, they would rest and rely on that and would become stronger. And in that, they were exalted and lifted up and strengthened. The rich man, though, the rich man was lowered. And that's the amazing thing about trials. They are equalizers in our lives. And just so you know, as I'm sure you already do, we are the rich man, are we not? We are the rich people. And yet the trials in our lives, don't they lower us? Because what is the propensity and the problem with us? We often want to rely on our materialistic wealth or, or even just as bad, our intellectual ability. And we resort back and we, and we rest in that rather than on the divine wisdom. But yet, as, the, as God allows in His sovereign and providential plan these trials to come into our lives, they buffet and batter us to the point where it ends all this self-sufficiency. And it brings us to an end of that, to where we're broken before the Lord, and we cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. I need your help. And that's right where we need to be. And so the, the, the rich man is lowered, the poor man is lifted, and then they're both equal, as they are in the eyes of God. And they're both standing there together at the foot of the cross, level. Just one beggar asking another beggar where to find bread, because that's all all of us are. Desperately entrapped in sin, but by the power of God, and as with the song we say in Christ alone, He frees us from that. But the trials of our lives seem and, 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 and desire to hem us in. But God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you to myself, and I'm going to draw you to myself, and I'm going to continue to conform you to the image of Christ. I think, uh, I think this illustration helps us in this. Um, this is a picture that I took in Malawi with Pastor Van. I don't know, three years ago now, I guess, something like that. And... Um, he and I have both seen this at face value. This, these people, and, and I know most of you know, as Johanna has been here and shared the testimonies, and um, these people, have, they experience trials every day of their life. Even these people here hadn't eaten for, for a couple days. And we brought with us some food, some corn mush there, and, and they would celebrate. One, one, one village we went to, it was amazing. I was just in awe. They sang nonstop for two and a half hours as God provided a meal for them. And as I asked Johanny, what are they singing? What are they saying? And he says, oh, they're just praising the Lord that he answered their prayer of food. And it's like, wow. And so we would be at the pastor's conference, a couple hundred pastors, and Pastor Van and Dave Bogue and Sean, we would be up on the stage and looking out, just like this, and people would be singing. And these people, many of them rags, you know, nothing. And they would be praising the Lord and tears running down their faces, and they would worship like you have never seen before. And I leaned over and I told Pastor Van, I said, this is amazing. These people have nothing, yet they worship as if they had everything. And yet in America, in all honesty, we have everything, and yet we worship as if we, sometimes we worship as if we have nothing. And see, it's the treasure of the trial that helps us realize that. Trials bring out that reality that we all need to be awakened to. The reality that we all need to realize. And it's these treasures that we must learn to focus on. Again, I repeat, we must learn to discipline ourselves on what God is doing for us rather than on what is happening to us. In the last verse here, he, he talks about this promised prize this is this is an amazing verse, and in all honesty, James has been preaching and preparing his people for just this point. If I could show you and diagram it for you in the Greek, you would see that James has been systematically working to this verse right here, and I'll, and I'll explain it here in a minute. But the first thing we see about this promised prize is that the crown comes through the cross. It's not in the text, but the, the truth is clearly there that there is no commendation or no crown from Christ without the cross of Christ. We must come to the cross of Christ first and foremost before there's ever ever any commendation. But what I mean by having this phrase, the crown comes through the cross, is the crown of commendation from Christ comes through pain. And I'm not minimizing that in any way. Scripture never does. Job declared it in Job 14.1 when he said emphatically, man born of woman is but few days and full of trouble. Scripture doesn't deny the fact, and even in this section, I think the greatest exposition on trials, it doesn't deny it. But the reality is on the outside of that pain and that struggle of that trial that we will all face, there is great crown of commendation from Christ. You learn that in the the Greek, and I'll just bring out the the nuance of this word, when he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When it talks about steadfast under, that's a Greek word that means hupomeno, and it literally means the person that perseveres under pressure, the person that perseveres under persecution. And so it's bringing out the truth that, listen, this trial is going to hurt. These trials are real. These trials are painful. But at the end of the trial... As you'll see in a minute, the crown of commendation from Christ will be well worth it. And it takes the trial to get us there. As Christ strips away, as God strips away in our life everything that's not Christ. It's almost like God is is a whittler and we are the wood in his hand. And he takes his divine tool of trials and he starts carving away all those things that are not Christ. And he carves and he carves and he strips. And then he breaks out the sandpaper towards the latter part of our life and does his finished work. And in the end, he's able to put on his shelf, as he says in Ephesians 2, as we are declared his masterpiece, he puts them on a shelf and he says, now look what I've done. And, it's, and, and one of the ways he does that is through the trials of our life. And so he shows us that uh, James brings out the truth that the crown comes through the cross. And it's also based on conduct as we are tested. What is tested? Our faith is ultimately tested, but faith is an interesting thing because it's like love. You can't, you can't really see it. It's an inanimate object. That's why scripture over and over and over and over again, you never will read that man will be tested on his faith. You'll never read that man will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for his faith. You will always find that man will give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or evil. It's always based on works. We're not saved by works, but we're tested on the works that our faith produced. And so James is clearly talking about that when he deals with this reality of the test. But there's something very interesting that I want to bring out. This whole passage is not negative in any way. James mentions it up in verse 2, the reality of this testing, and he ends with it here in this section on trials in verse 12, the same Greek word, and it's the Greek word doikimas. And when you understand the nuance behind this word, and you see it the way that James's audience would have saw it, it brings out the great encouragement of what Christ is doing in our lives as he brings trials into them. Let me explain when they would have read this letter and they would have saw this word doikimos, both in verse 2 and down in verse 12, they would have immediately had their attention span turned to the marketplace with these clay pots. I threw a picture of it up there on the screen so you could, you could think about it. And in the marketplace there were all these clay pots that they used and they would sell, clay pottery everywhere. Well, the reality of life and the sinfulness of man shown them that there were... There were What's the word I want to use? Shysters in the marketplace that would sell clay pots that were cracked and broken and that would leak and that would be worthless. And so people started getting these clay pots and they started realizing we got to come up with a system that, that, that would alleviate this. So what they decided to do was to have all the pots tested by fire. They would be placed in a furnace of fire and tested with great heat. And the heat would reveal the cracks as it would expand. The crack, the, the, the pot would shrink and the crack would expand and it would reveal it. And you could see it and you would realize, oh, that's a worthless pot and you throw it away. But the pots that, that were approved, the pots that came out of the furnace with no cracks in them, they would take the pot, they would turn it upside down and on the bottom of the pot, they would stamp moss which meant approved and genuine. And that's what James is saying about the trials of our life. God brings us through the furnace of affliction. Okay, hear me out now. God brings us through the furnace of affliction to test us, not to disprove us. James is, if he, if he wanted to prove that, if he wanted to use that, he would have used the word ah, doikimas, but he didn't do that. It's doikimas. It's, he brings us through the trials of life to prove us to, so that in the, at the judgment seat of Christ, when we receive that commendation from him, he can stamp the, the doikimas on our life and say, approved, genuine, and the way he does that is bringing us through the furnace of affliction. Now, I, I, I ask you, receiving that commendation from Christ, is it not worth it? Is that not worth it? Jane, or Paul clearly lived his life with that in mind, with this internal perspective, of looking forward to the well-done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the same picture. The doikimas stamped on Paul's life. That's what he wanted. That's why he, he cried out quite often that he was afraid of being disqualified. And he watched his life and doctrine closely, and that's what he told Timothy, lest he not receive the stamp of Doikimos on his life. So it is in our life. If we will respond properly to the trials in our lives, if we will allow God to use the, the great divine tool of trials in our lives, and we will allow these tools or these trials to make us better and not bitter, we can look forward one day when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we look Christ face to face, we can be excited and looking forward to God pulling out that crown that He will place on our head, which will ultimately stand for the reality of Him stamping Doikimas on our life. Amen? So what are the trials of life? We've seen their humility. We've seen that there's this divine wisdom that we need and we desperately need This congregation desperately needed, and oh, I'd love to show you so many ways in this in this book how I could prove that point. I'm itching to do it, but I can't. Um, We see it's powerful prayer. Do you pray with a power when you're in the midst of pressure? You know, I think it was uh, Puritan Thomas Thomas Manton that once said, uh, "When life is easy, we live by sense, but when life is hard, we live by faith." See, that's one of the treasures of the trial. A deeper faith. An eternal perspective as we think about the doikimas. An intimacy with Christ that, in all honesty, we don't gain any other way. And ultimately, we look forward to Christ's commendation as we seek to use these trials and allow God, ultimately, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to use these trials in our lives so that we can hear the well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I ask you, are you allowing God to use these these trials in your lives? Are you allowing God to use His divine tool to make you better? Or have you responded improperly and these trials that you face, whatever they may be, have only made you bitter? The grace of God is a wonderful thing and God's mercies are new to us every morning and today is a new day. Because today, if you're in the midst of a trial, you can turn to the the throne of God and find grace and mercy in your time of need. And so I pray, I don't know where you are because reality is reality and you know what? We're either in a trial... We're coming out of a trial or soon to go into one. And so I hope the the authority of God's word and the message spoken here today will bring you a sense of encouragement and will also bring you a sense of of equipment that you can prepare yourself as one day they will come. And we don't live in fear of, of when they come. We know God is sovereign. And understanding this helps us even to lean on that even more. So I pray as the trials come into your life, you will seek to allow them to be used in your life So that one day you will hear that great word, doikimas, stamped upon your life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it touches every fabric of our life. We thank you that though this letter written to the first century church is applicable to the 21st century church. Now, Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to take these words. Encourage us where we need encourage and convict us where we need convicting, Lord. Enable us to do what only you can, and that's apply the word to our lives. Help us, Father, in that endeavor. It's in your name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.